are listening to a brand new episode of Disclosure, the newest broadcast from the time-honored Voice of Prophecy broadcast on the air since 1929, one of the oldest running faith-based broadcasts in America today. My name is Sean Boonstra, I'm your host, and I am sitting in our little studio in beautiful Loveland, Colorado. I have an open Bible on the desk right in front of me because it is a serious Bible study day. So the Bible's on my desk, and across the desk is a beautiful woman with me in the studio. And I know that some of you are going to wonder right away, what is a preacher doing alone in a studio with a beautiful woman? But in this case, she happens to be my wife, and so it's all kosher. So today, Jean, it's just you and I in studio. It's good to be here. I look forward to digging in. I've got my Bible open in front of me, too, and I know we're going to have a wonderful discussion. Yeah, we sure are. And um, and if you're listening at home, go grab your Bible. It's always best to follow along and see the passages that we're talking about. Of course, if you are in your automobile, do not open a Bible. Pay attention to the road and just listen. And then go to the website and get the show notes or listen to the broadcast again uh, a little bit later. But uh, if you can get a Bible, go ahead and grab one or get your online Bible or your iPad or your cell phone Bible, whatever it is, and follow along because I'm pretty sure my wife might have an interesting topic today. Jean, what are we going to talk about? Well, we're going to talk about a person from the Bible. Always a good good topic. (laughs) Yes. Now, I've always found it fascinating, of course, to study the life of Christ and those who followed him. But there's one individual who, it's difficult to read about him, but his story is important, and that is Judas. Okay, so today we're going to talk about nobody's favorite Bible character. And I'm wondering, Gene, should I be a little bit concerned that my own wife is fascinated? Of all the people in the Bible to bring into studio today, you're bringing Judas. Should I be concerned that you're fascinated by this guy? You shouldn't. It is, you know, nobody names the their child Judas. No, that's really. right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John you'll meet those, but you handfuls. won't meet ba- you'll never meet baby Judas. You that's won't right. find baby Judas in the Right. So should I be concerned that you're fascinated? No, I I, I I didn't go into my study of Judas out of a fascination rather and a desire to understand how a man who lived with Jesus and walked with him could actually turn yeah. his back on him. And in fairness, all of the negative stories in the Bible, Paul's very clear in First Corinthians ten and verse six that these things are written as examples to us so that we don't make the same mistakes and absolutely. so yeah absolutely i'm just giving you a rough time that you, you <laughs> walked into sweat, right you know you have all these people in the new testament and you walk in with judas and baby judas so baby here we go let's talk about <laughs> judas what do we know about judas from the bible because obviously the bible is going to be our textbook in our study sure well biographically we don't know a whole lot about judas but there are a few things that we know we know that he was one of the inner circle one of the 12 apostles which yeah no is you called him an apostle, and I've heard yes. you call him that before, and and I challenged you saying that, uh, no, they're disciples before the book of Acts, and they're apostles later, and then you sent me back to my study. Mm-hmm. It turns out you're absolutely right. Matthew mm-hmm. chapter 10 says that Judas is one of the 12 apostles they That's were called. Right. So they there were. you go. I've just, I've already learned something new, folks. They were apostles before the book of Acts as well. They were. It, the, the word apostle means sent out, and Jesus actually sent them out, the 12, and, and Judas was one of them. So um, he was one of this inner circle. Well, what does that mean? It means that he had constant face time with Jesus while he was here on this earth. Well, and as one of the 12, Judas was probably the only non-Galilean. He was likely from the town of Kerioth, since 
the surname Iscariot means man of Kerioth. So if that is the case, then he would have been the only Judean of the twelve. Right. So Iscariot means uh, from Kerioth. And if you look at Kerioth, what I find interesting, and the first mention is in Joshua chapter 15, is the children of Israel are dividing up the land of Cain. And the language seems to indicate that Kerioth is out on the very edge of Judah. And so I'm mm-hmm. wondering, you know, is, he's a Judean, uh, mm-hmm. but he's out from on the edge. And, and there there may or may not be you know some symbolic significance to that. Interesting. But, yeah. That is interesting. So he's from Kerioth, about 10 miles south of Hebron, if mm-hmm. you're looking on a map. Mm-hmm. His father's name was Simon, we're told. Uh, now the name Judas, that's the Greek form of the name Judah. And it was a very popular given name in, Ju- in Jesus' day. Uh, the name literally means praise Yahweh. And the New Testament mentions seven different Judases. And in fact, one of the other apostles always listed in scripture as the brother of James is his first name is Judas as well. well. It's understandable that they would try and hide his name or refer to him with extra descriptors because yes. who wants to be confused with Judas? So he's actually named after the tribe of Judah, he is. Which, mm-hmm. um, which is fascinating. And Judah mm-hmm. again means? Judah means praise Yahweh. Right. That's what the name means. So uh, what we also know about Judas is that he was the group's treasurer. He Good. was the keeper of the money bag. And we also know that he was a thief and a greedy man. Now, now wait a minute. You're calling him a, we know that we don't like Judas, but to right. call him a thief and a greedy man. Now, that, those are not my words, and that's not speculation. We actually read that in John's account. In John chapter 12, he, uh, John writes, why? And he's talking about the, you know, the scenario where they're at a dinner in Bethany. This is just before the betrayal of Jesus, where Mary is there and, you know, she pours out the fragrant oil. Here's what John, how John describes that situation. He says, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, and this is Judas speaking, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So he's actually guilty. He's identified as being guilty of embezzlement. He's watching the money for Jesus and the 12 disciples, and he's dipping into it himself. So there's a little bit of a character study even before the betrayal. Mm -hmm. He's he's living off of the proceeds of Jesus' ministry and Mm -hmm. stealing. So, okay, I'll give you that. He's a thief and a greedy man. And, of course, what we remember Judas for most infamously is being the man that betrayed Christ. Which is why nobody names their baby Judas, right? And and nobody wants to be called Judas, and we still call people Judas today if they turn on you. Mm -hmm. Um, And I guess that's the thing that lingers in everybody's mind. So we've got a guy, he's the only non-Galilean, he's from the tribe of Judah, he's named after the tribe of Judah, he's a treasurer, he's a thief, and the story's not great so far. It leads to the... um, to the betrayal of Jesus. Now, I've got to say, Gene, mm-hmm. you know, when you think of the inner circle, you identified him as one of the 12 that are sent out. Judas is a part of the 12. It makes some people a little bit uncomfortable, right? Here is an awful man who's among the 12 apostles or disciples. And the big question is, of course, well, did Jesus pick this guy? I mean, did mm-hmm. Jesus choose mm-hmm. Judas to be among the 12? Mm-hmm. That really is the question that started my study of Judas. I wanted to know the answer to that. And let's turn to our Bibles here that we have in front of us, and let's actually read the account where Jesus calls the apostles. Let's go to Mark chapter 3, 
and verses 13 to 19. And again, if you're listening and you don't have a Bible in front of you, that's okay. We'll have the all of these references on our show notes on the website, and you can follow along with okay, us that later. That website is vop.com or voiceofprophecy.com. We're in Mark chapter 3 and what verse? Starting in verse 13. Okay. And let's just go ahead and read that. Okay. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. So this is describing... Jesus is up on the mountain, and he calls to himself some of the, some individuals. Okay. And we continue, and they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that he might that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out demons. Then he lists the individuals that were called, that were apostles. Right. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. I always stumble over that. That is sons of thunder. Verse 18, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanite. And Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Interesting that Mark introduces him as the one who betrayed Jesus right out of the gate. You don't you don't have to wonder about what Judas is all about. Well, and in every account where the, the this group of men is listed in the scriptures, Judas is always last. You know, right. That's, that's clearly <laughs> okay, deliberate. So, that, so he's identified as the one who betrayed him, and he comes up the mountain with the other apostles. Did Jesus pick him? Well, that's a really good question. You know, Jesus is up in the mountain. We can assume that he's there praying, as he often did before he made important decisions in his ministry. It's important, I think, at this point in the story to remember that none of these 12 individuals were perfect. All of them were flawed. You know, John, the beloved disciple, is described as one of the sons of thunder. Well, I've always loved that, that the 12 disciples aren't perfect because it gives a guy like me some hope when I'm watching them relate to Jesus in a very imperfect way, and yet they're in the inner circle. It gives everybody some hope. So, of of course, yeah, they Mm -hmm. are all flawed. Mm -hmm. You know, none of them graduated from a rabbinical school or members of the upper crust of society, as far as we know. These were ordinary people. Right. But I think that Judas must have been an impressive person. He was the only non-Galilean. And we can imagine that as given the responsibility of treasurer, that he was at least successful to some degree. Right. So this question, did Jesus choose Judas? Well, it's one that's bother believers for many generations. It bothers bothers me, frankly. Mm -hmm. Um, And in the 19th century, it was widely discussed. Um, You know, Sean, I read an account written in the 1800s that argued that Judas was not actually asked to come up the mountain, but that he either went up uninvited or was invited up by some of these other men. Um, We know that Judas was part of the larger group of disciples that followed Jesus wherever he went, teaching and preaching. Now, while the Bible is is silent on just how Jesus made it up the mountain, it isn't difficult to imagine a scenario where Judas presented himself. I sort of picture maybe he offered his services the same way someone might in a job interview today. Yeah, you know, I've read some of those accounts. As you come out of the Dark Ages and into the 1800s, the 19th century, as you point out, there were people who did discuss this, and I have seen, we wouldn't have time to dissect all of that, but I've seen some fairly compelling arguments that Judas was among the other apostles. They found him impressive, and Jesus allows it, but not necessarily, um, it's not necessarily that Jesus handpicked Judas uh, to be among the disciples. So I've seen those arguments, and, mm-hmm. and I've got to admit that after I've read my way through them, they make great, great sense. And I would agree with you. Um, now, coming to the group as a flawed individual, 
Jesus places Judas among the disciples where he's in daily contact with him. Uh, Judas witnessed Jesus' unselfish character, and he had every opportunity in the world to mold his character according to this wonderful example that he saw. Well, which of course would be true for all of us, wouldn't it? Right. I mean, if if uh, very few people in the Western world have any um, any real excuse. They, um, they, we've all got a copy of the Bible in our homes and stuff. We do have the opportunity to come in close contact with Jesus, as Judas did. But mm-hmm. the big question is, did Judas actually take advantage of that? Well, sadly, Judas does not appear to have learned or to grow in the presence of Jesus. He continues to focus on self. His greed sort of shines through. Um, so, So did Jesus choose Judas? Well, we do know that Jesus allowed a flawed individual into his circle, and he gave him every opportunity to choose him. And when Jesus calls us, he calls us not because we're perfect, but because he sees the potential in us. And like Judas, we come up the mountain flop, but we have the opportunity to grow in the presence of his grace. We're coming up against a break, but I do love this thought because when I read Revelation chapter 14, I see this crowd of people on the mountain with the Lamb of God. Mm. It's that we all get called up the mountain and God writes the name of the Father in in our foreheads. That's a picture of God's character. Bible says that he writes his law in our hearts and minds, and he says that his own name is his character to Moses back in Exodus 34. God declares his name and then describes his character. So we have this group on the mountain that are very closely identified with God, his very character, his name, who he is is written in their foreheads. So while those disciples of old had that privilege of being called up the mountain to be with Jesus, and I've been jealous of that, I realize that ultimately in this world, we all get an invitation to come up the mountain. And eventually, if the decisions in our hearts and minds uh, take advantage of that opportunity, we get the Father's name written in our foreheads, and we develop an everlasting relationship with Christ. Okay, Gene, I'm going to push the pause button. This is a fascinating study we do need to get to. The betrayal of Jesus, the story that everybody remembers. We will be right back on Disclosure in a moment. Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, Where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and a second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. We are back from our break. You are listening to Disclosure, the newest program from The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra. I am your host, and I am in studio with my favorite guest, my wife, Jean Boonstra. And uh, just before the break, Jean, we were talking about Judas, and we saw some of his background. We saw the calling of the disciples. We wrestled with the question of whether or not Jesus personally picked him to be a disciple or whether or not he sort of ended up among them. And now we're going to look, aren't we, at the actual betrayal of 
of Jesus. And by the time that Judas betrays Jesus, it's already clear, like a lot of the religious leaders of Israel don't like Jesus. There's huge tension with the official religious authorities of the day. Um, There have been attempts to arrest Jesus at this point. And so the question I want to put in front of you is, what motivated Judas to betray Jesus? What drives him to that point? How does he get to that? At that specific time. I mean, does he hate Jesus too? That's the question, I guess. You know, what motivates him? Well, it's a great question. You know, the timing was right, if that's the correct word to use here. But at this point, a few things had happened that sort of culminated in this betrayal and the subsequent sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So let's take a minute, Sean, and let's go back here in Mark and okay. let's look at chapter 14. Mark 14. And let's, starting at, at right at the beginning in verse 1, let's read about some of the events that were happening right before the betrayal and just sort of how this all came to be at this time. Good. We're in Mark 14, verse 1. Uh, 14, verse 1 reads, After two days, it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So, Sean, I just want to pause here for a minute. This is, we've just read the first two verses of Mark 14, and we can see the scene here. This is Jerusalem. The chief priests and the scribes are conspiring how they can take Jesus and how they can put him to death. I can't stand Jesus, and they're looking for the opening to get rid of him. Exactly. So while this is happening in Jerusalem, as we continue here in Mark, picking up again in verse 3, we sort of change scenes. Now we're in Bethany, and this is what's happening while the chief priests are plotting. So starting here in Mark 14, verse 3, it reads, And beginning in Bethany, at the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at the table, a woman came, having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of spikenard. Now we know from other accounts that this is Mary, Lazarus' sister Mary. The John 12 account points out that this is Mary. Right. Then she, being Mary, broke the flask and poured it on his head, Jesus' head. But there were some, and this some, we also know from other accounts, this is Judas that we're speaking of. So there were some who were indignant among themselves and said, Why was this fragrant oil wasted? For it might have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they criticized her sharply. But Jesus said, Let her alone. They, Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me, for you have the poor with you always, and whenever you wish, you may do them good, but me you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has come beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Well, that's absolutely true, of course, because we all know this story intimately. It's 2,000 years later, and what Jesus said is absolutely true. We're still talking about this. Right. Absolutely. So there's this beautiful scene of Mary anointing Jesus. But while that is happening, Judas is sitting at the table. Well, I guess he's not at the table. He's lounging in a recliner, as the custom would have been. But he sees this happening, and he's, rather than seeing the beauty of what's happening, he's indignant. He has a very strong reaction to it. Okay. So that leads naturally into what happens next, which we pick up in verse 10, and this is what I think of as scene three. Mark 14, verse 10. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. So Judas is there. He's indignant with what he sees. 
Uh, this is the tipping point for him. It is Whatever's going on in his mind, point. watching Mary spend money, even though he's stealing from the treasury himself. Right, right? Right. He's stealing money, and yet he's critiquing Mary for spending some money, presumably her own, on an oil, a fragrant oil, to anoint Jesus. And right. so now the chief priests are looking for a way to conveniently get Jesus, and the Bible says that Judas is looking for a way to conveniently betray him. Everybody's looking for an opportunity on both sides now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, it, it sets the scene for what's going to come next and what will happen next okay. as, as Judas moves forward with his betrayal of Jesus. Okay. So Jesus tells the twelve, gathered in the upper room at the last summer, the supper, that one of them was going to betray him. He points that out. One of you is going to betray me. Um, and that's in the John 13 account. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the question is, if Jesus is pointing this out ahead of time, um, and, and, and there are prophecies that point to Judas, mm-hmm. you know, in the Old Testament even, that the New Testament writers say that, that pointed forward to Judas. The big question a lot of people have is, was Judas just a puppet of mm-hmm. prophecy, or did he have the freedom to do this or not do it? Was he doing this against his will? Did he have a choice? That is a great question. Um you mentioned the Last Supper, and Jesus does clearly tell the group while they're sitting there gathered having a meal together that one of them would betray him. And let's go to that, that scripture you referenced, Sean, which is in the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Okay. And let's pick it up there in verses 21 to 30, and let's actually read through what happened there in the upper room. Okay, so we're in John 13. What verse? Let's pick it up in verse 21. Okay. All right. It says, Most surely I say to you, And this is Jesus speaking. Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. Now, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter, therefore, motioned to him to ask who it was of whom he spoke. Then, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now, after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, being Mm. Judas. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus had said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. Having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately. But this is, it says Satan entered Judas. And so Mm -hmm. now the question becomes really big. If he didn't have any choice, then Satan goes into him um, against his will, Mm -hmm. you know, in effect. Or was this something that Judas allowed? Mm -hmm. Does he have? Take take me now to the details you notice in this story. Was he a puppet? Did he have a choice? Well... That's that is the bottom line. Did he have a choice? Well, first I want to step out back just one step, Sean, and something I found very interesting reading this account was looking at it from the perspective of the other eleven men that were there. Sure. So we can if we read the verses from their perspective, we see that Jesus points out Judas's betrayal perhaps as a way of preparing them for what is about to happen. He's giving them advance warning, although it doesn't fully register with them. But it seems uh, that he's warning them of what's about to happen. Now, if Judas's betrayal had been a total surprise to these men, their faith may have not been able to withstand the shock. Um, Also, what I found interesting is that none of the men realized it was Judas Jesus was talking about, and he's so plain about it. 
But what that shows me is just how Jesus treated this man, that he knew he would betray him, but he didn't treat him any differently than he treated the others. Um, so, Sean, your question is a good one. Did Jesus have... Pardon me. Yeah. Did no, we Judas, don't want to confuse those names. <laughs> no, that was a big blunder. Did Judas have the freedom to choose? Well, when when Jesus handed Judas that piece of bread, was he sealing the fate that Judas already chose? I believe so. I do believe so. Yeah, you know, I, I would agree with that because that's the pattern of Scripture. Um, and this is a big question, probably worth spending a couple of minutes on. But if Judas was not taken, you know, if Judas didn't have a choice, that says something about God, as you're sort of intimating. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But here's what's interesting. When, when Peter is dealing with something, Peter says to him, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. So Satan's after more than one disciple. Um, and that's in Luke chapter 22. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you, uh, Peter, that your faith should not fail. In other words, there's something in you that affects whether or not this happens. If your faith is strong, this isn't going to happen. But if you flounder, Satan will have you. Mm -hmm. Uh, James says in James chapter 1, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to say, look, each one who is tempted, this is in James chapter 1 and verse 14, Each one who is tempted, when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed, then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. In other words, the devil tempts. He holds stuff out in front of you, but it's up to you whether or not you entertain that temptation and open the door. And so if you put this in the context of the rest of Scripture, it's quite clear Judas obviously had a choice. In some point in his career, he opened his heart to the devil's influence. He started responding to temptation and allowed something to fester. Now... Um, so, so does Judas have a choice? And of course, the other part of that equation is he's prophesied, though. Somebody will point that out. There are prophecies in the Old Testament that point to this happening. So maybe Judas is the exception. Maybe he didn't have a choice. What are those prophecies? Well, uh, there are several prophecies in the Old Testament that clearly you know, foretold Jesus' crucifixion. And let's take a look at one in Zechariah that prophesies the manner of his betrayal. This is fascinating. This is in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, of course, at the very end of the Old Testament. Uh, It writes, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter that princely price they set on me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. And of course, that's the amount that Judas betrayed Jesus for. Right. And in this original context here, Zechariah is speaking to the people of Israel requesting his wages. And he he brings up this value of 30 pieces of silver, 30 shekels. Really, that's a that's a minimal. That's a really small amount. I, I from what I was able to read, it looks like it's about $25 in it's our current currency. It's amazingly low. It's low. And there's also significance in the fact that it was the value of a slave. 30 shekels was the value of a slave. So this was fulfilled clearly in Judas's betrayal of Jesus and his regret and his death. Um, now, this did not mean that Judas had to be the one to betray him or that he didn't have a choice, though. Right. God had the foreknowledge that this would happen, which is not the same as taking away his free choice. Right. And you know what I find interesting is that Judas is never named by name in that prophecy. Somebody's going to do it. Does it have to be Judas? I, I, I tend to agree with you, 
that it probably doesn't have to be him. If you look at the prophecy in Isaiah of who would overthrow Babylon, it's name by name, 100 years before he's born. It's going to be Cyrus, the Persian, who does that, but not with Judas. Um, so I, I agree with you. It's not consistent with the character of God to say that Judas didn't have a choice. But you know, you know what, Gene? We are up against the bottom of the hour right now. And so if you're okay with it, I'm going to push the pause button on you. Sure. And, uh, and on some stations, we're about to go off the air. That's the sad news. The good news is that the whole show on Judas with Gene Boonstra is at voiceofprophecy.com. If you're on one of those fortunate stations that stays with us for the full hour, we will be back right after the break. Otherwise, until we meet again at the website or here on this station, you've been listening to Disclosure from the Voice of Prophecy. Hello, I'm Jean Boonstra. Do you feel as if your life has lost its meaning, just moving from one task to another without any answers to the really important questions in life? Like, is it possible to have a fresh start and to find real happiness? Well, the Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for to this and to all of life's big questions. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888 456 7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. You can choose to study in the format that's most convenient for you. You may either do the lessons completely online or have them mailed right to your home. Both options are completely free of charge. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. Welcome back. This is Disclosure, the newest broadcast from The Voice of Prophecy. My name is Sean Boonstra. I am your host. And if you're just tuning in, this is actually the second half of the program, or what a golfer might term the the back nine of the show. We're talking about Judas today. We're having a Bible study, and leading that study is the beautiful and talented Jean Boonstra, who happens to be my wife of many, 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 many Many, years. Many, many. Yeah, we've been married a long time, and I know that you've been spending a lot of time on this topic, and just before the break, we were discussing this, this idea or this question of whether or not Judas had freedom of choice in this matter. Somebody was prophesied to uh, betray Jesus, mm-hmm. and uh, and Jesus even mentioned somebody's going to betray him just before it happens. Uh, and, uh, and so the question is, did Judas have a choice? Well, and it's an interesting question, and one that I think um, led my, my desire to study and learn more about Judas, because it's fascinating to see this man who was part of the the 12, the inner circle, actually betrayed Jesus. You know, I think, Sean, that Judas had the same opportunity each and every one of us has, actually a greater opportunity um, to choose Jesus because he was daily with him. He he had that time, that constant interaction with Jesus. And, you know, just before Judas betrayed Jesus, he washed his feet. Right. It's kind of like a final appeal. Jesus is is reaching out to him at that point. Yeah. He didn't give up on him, even until the very last minute. And yet Judas, of his own free will, chose his own destruction. Yeah. I I think the Bible pattern is clear. If you put it in the whole context and you read all the details as you have done, uh, he did have a choice. But let me turn that question on its head for you now. Mm -hmm. Uh, He chose to do it. 
Um, and and the, the other question that a lot of people might find fascinating to contemplate is whether or not Judas had ever been in a saving relationship with Jesus and threw that away. Because when I read John chapter 17, for example, mm-hmm. that, that famous prayer where Jesus is talking to his father, he describes Judas as the son of perdition. Uh, and that's just before all of this happens. By John 17, we're getting close to the final events, the final week of Jesus' life. Uh, was Judas ever saved and did he throw it away very fascinating question because that that phrase son of perdition those are strong words so let's actually look at that um section in the gospel of john sean it's found in john 17 starting in verse 9 okay and let's just read it together to set the scene as you already as you already began uh jesus is here and he's with his disciples and he is praying for them so we read john 17 verse 9 I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Now, Sean, just to clarify, this doesn't mean Jesus didn't pray for us or care about the rest of us. But at this specific moment, he has a burden for these. Actually, later he says, and all those who will believe on me because of their work. So so it does point down through time to us. Yes, it does. Yes. Uh, Jesus praying to his father says, and all mine are yours and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition. Oh, there's the big, is, is Judas lost? Jesus says yes, he's lost, and he's the son of perdition. Well, he finishes that 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 sentence with that the scripture might be fulfilled. Right. And there's that free will question again. Right. Um, And I think we've established that he probably did have a choice, but uh, was he ever saved? Did he start out saved and throw that away? Well, this scripture that um, Jesus says is fulfilled is, is from Psalm 41 verse 9. And it says, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. So that seems to very much reflect the, the scene just prior to this prayer in the upper room where Jesus hands Judas a morsel of bread. That term, son of perdition, means destined to destruction. It's a title that's applied to the Antichrist we see later in in 2 Thessalonians. It's the same word that's used when the final destruction of the wicked um, is described in a couple of different places in the Bible. But as we saw just a few minutes ago, Judas chose to portray Jesus. So, Judas appears at this point, at least, to be a lost man. Uh, right. Jesus describes him in the same terms as he describes the Antichrist and the final destruction but of the wicked. But at the it's same pretty time, clear. but at the mm-hmm. same time, he calls him my own familiar friend. And so right. there does at least seem to be a degree of intimacy that Judas turned away from. And so the possibility is there that he was in a saving relationship, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know... I, I don't know. Was Judas ever a saved man? Did he ever fully believe in Jesus, accept him as his savior? I, I just don't know. But it seems that at this point, when he left the upper room to set in place the events where Jesus would be betrayed, he was a lost man. Now, this is not a small question, though. This mm-hmm. this is where it really relates to you and me, those of us living in the 21st century, to everybody who's listening today. It's a big question that Christians have wrestled with forever. I, I grew up in this religious tradition that said there is nothing you can do to ruin your salvation. Mm-hmm. I mean, God will even drag you into heaven against your will. You don't want to go, and you're living a reprobate life, and God's going to take you. But the pattern in the Bible's 
seems to be. I mean, especially if you if you we want to build on this idea that Jesus' own familiar friend turned against him and became the son of perdition, mm-hmm. then you know you do find this pattern in the Bible. Um, it's very clear in Romans chapter eight, for example, that nothing can separate you from the love of God, and it lists a whole bunch of things: angels, principalities, powers. The only thing missing in that list is you, right? right. Our choice. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. say that you can't leave. Mm-hmm. So then you go to the rest of the Bible and you see Paul saying. You know, I want to discipline my own body in case after preaching to others, 1 Corinthians 9, I might be disqualified myself. Well, he's in a saving relationship with Jesus, but he's worried that he might forsake his own relationship with Christ and end up disqualified for the kingdom. Second mm-hmm. uh, Peter chapter 2 talks about people who have escaped the pollutions of the world and have a knowledge of Jesus Christ. They have escaped the world, but then they go back to the world, and it says the latter end is worse for them than in the beginning. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, if we sin willfully after having received knowledge of the truth, there is no more sacrifice for sins. Hebrews chapter 6, it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's somebody in a relationship with Christ. Mm-hmm. If they go away, fall away again, it says it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. Mm-hmm. The pattern says that that choice is always there. And so we have to be very careful. Yes, nothing will tell God to stop loving you. Right. Nothing's going to change God's mind about whether or not the cross is sufficient to save you or whether or not he wants you in the kingdom. But he doesn't seem to violate free will, and you always have the will to walk away. Adam and Eve were saved and were able to exercise the freedom of the will. I think Mm -hmm. the Bible pattern says God is bringing us to a point where we'll never choose that in the end. Right. Right. So uh, I wonder, you know, here's the other big question I want to put in front of you. We've talked about free will and people I hope are going to go and scramble and spend the night studying their Bible on that and whether or not he was saved and threw that relationship away. But now I want to get into the brain of Judas a little bit and ask you, you know, do you think uh, that he's justifying this in his mind? I mean, how do you turn on Jesus, the Son of God? You've got to think that somehow in his mind it makes sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, it, it's a really interesting question because I think all of us, all of us as humans, we're multidimensional thinkers and we're all really, really good at justifying sin, aren't we? We can always think of a reason why our particular sin is is the exception to the rule. Um, and you know, Judas, he very likely believed in the power of what Jesus was preaching and teaching, the political power. Like many of his followers, he anticipated a political shakeup. Uh, he was also very likely interested in a key position in this new kingdom. Right. So, Sean, let's think for just a minute from Judas's perspective. You said, let's get into his brain. Let's try to do that. What was it like as a first century Jewish man to think about what Messiah would offer. What was he expecting Messiah right. to offer? And that's obviously a big issue in the New Testament, mm-hmm. the expectations mm-hmm. of Jesus from everybody. Exactly. And Sean, let's try and think about this for a minute from Judas's perspective. What was it like as a first century Jewish person to expect Messiah? What were they, what was he and what were all of the disciples expecting from right. Jesus? Big question. Yeah. Well, there's an interesting book called The New Testament and the People of God by N.T. Wright. Right. Great, great Christian apologist. Yes. Yes. Lots of his books that I want to read. But he states that after the exile, most Jews were hoping for a turn in Israel's fortunes and that God would restore her fortunes. He writes, quote, the symbols of covenantal life will be restored because the covenant will be renewed. The temple will be rebuilt, the land cleansed, the Torah kept perfectly by a new covenant people with renewed hearts. 
end quote. There was a lot of expectation built around this age to come, and Wright continues, quote, the salvation spoken of in the Jewish sources of this period has to do with a couple of things, rescue from the national enemies, restoration of the national symbols, and a state of shalom or peace in which every man will sit under his vine or fig tree. So when Judas is following Messiah, Jesus, who he believes is Messiah, he has this kind of expectation, this frame of reference. Um, Now, to be fair, all of the disciples seem to sort of have missed the point of what Jesus' real mission was at this stage. Right. And there was a confusion because the Bible clearly pointed forward to a messianic age where peace would be restored on earth and the earth would be the kingdom of God. Where the the issue seems to have come up is discerning between the first and second comings of Messiah. Mm -hmm. Anybody who would have been, and I often think about this, Jesus must have been very frustrated talking to people who had copies of the scriptures (laughs) and didn't know them. The book of Daniel made it so clear that uh, after Babylon came, they would never again be free from rule under pagan kings. You know, you had all the beasts crawling up out of the sea and so on, until the Son of Man established his kingdom. So they may have looked at this point and said, you know, we're already under Rome, the fourth animal, and maybe they're looking at Jesus establishing his kingdom right at that moment. Uh But there there is confusion. There there is. And you know... uh Besides having the Old Testament record before them, Jesus himself was very plain. We read in Mark chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, he tells them, he says, And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. But the disciples, all of them, including Judas, probably anticipated still a political coup. And and maybe Judas started down the path of betrayal in an attempt to hasten events. And also, Sean, I never want to forget that, you know, Judas was with Jesus every day, just about. Right. He witnessed Jesus' miracles, his power. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. Very likely, he believed that Jesus would save himself from his arresters and that he would free himself. Um, but you know, Sean, how, however Judas, or for that matter, any of us today, try to justify our bad choices, the results of sin are, are real and they're tragic. You know, it's interesting that you point out the resurrection of Lazarus, because you think that would have turned everybody's hearts toward Christ. Mm-hmm. What I find fascinating about that incident is that in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And you've got the rich man who, you know, his audience is the Pharisees in this, begging, please send somebody back from the dead. They'll believe if you send someone back from the dead. Well, Jesus did raise someone named Lazarus from the dead and nobody believed. And in that parable, Jesus said, look, everybody's got Moses and the prophets. If they won't believe that, they're not going to believe a resurrection. And so you had people that even in the face of a clear-cut miracle at the hands of Jesus didn't believe. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have looked at Judas and we're looking at the fact that everybody was kind of justifying their own version of Jesus in their minds. And uh, Judas is probably trying to force Jesus' hand and get him to confront the political authorities of the day and stage that coup that everybody was hoping, overthrow Roman oppression, but Mm -hmm. we are up against a break. And uh, I think I want to look at the possibility, we've looked at almost every possibility. When we come back from the break, we're going to ask the question, um, could Judas have repented and sought forgiveness? And uh, so we're going to take a little break. I'm with Gene Boonstra today in studio. We are looking at the life and times of Judas the betrayer, and we will be back right after this break. Are
Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does My Life Really Matter to God? and A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. We are back from the break. My name is Sean Boonstra. I'm in studio with Gene Boonstra. And during the break, I was trying to get a date from my guest. I was asking her out, and I got all kinds of resistance. I said, I'm going home to my husband and children and dishes and laundry. Yeah, I can I can completely <laughs> understand that. I uh, And just for those who may not know or may not have noticed we've got the same last name, we are married. We have been for... <laughs> 20,000 years. Yeah. And, uh, about that. Yeah, about that. And I didn't, I can't even get a date out of a woman I've been married to for years and years. But uh, I will, <laughs> how, about, how, about, again. how about I come home and help with laundry? Well, that's a great date. There, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Let's get back to the topic. Judas. Um, after the betrayal of Jesus, you know, we've been looking at Judas. Did he have a free choice? Uh, did he throw away his salvation? Very interesting questions, and they do relate to us as human beings. But now let's move past the betrayal, because it's pretty clear that Judas is in regret. Boy, what have I done? At least that's the way the story plays out. And yet he doesn't choose to seek forgiveness. And I guess there's the next question. After mm-hmm. doing what he did, could he have turned and come back to Christ? Mm-hmm. So talk to me about that. That's a great question. I wish Judas's story had a happy ending. You know, I do. But the reality is that instead of seeking forgiveness from Jesus, he committed suicide. Right. Um, let's actually read it in Matthew chapter 27. Let's go to the gospel account of what happened. Uh, let's pick it up, Sean, in Matthew 27, starting in verse 3. All right. I'm turning through the pages of my Bible. Matthew, go ahead and start reading. I'm just about there. All right. We begin in Matthew 27, starting verse Mm 3. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. All the hypocrisy of this. They they orchestrate it, but you're willing to kill Jesus, but let's be really strict about where this money goes. Right, right. As if that was the big consequence. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. So there's this moment of huge regret. He goes and hangs himself. Acts chapter 1, this always baffled me as a kid, says mm-hmm. that he fell down and burst open. So I remember mm-hmm. asking a preacher when I was a kid, did he hang himself or did he fall off a cliff? And the answer was, well, he hung himself and then the rope broke and he fell off the cliff. And, and, and so it's, <laughs> they well, both must be, works. well, they both must be true because right. they're both in scripture. One is in Acts and one is here in Matthew 27. Mm-hmm. So there's obviously a moment where he starts to change his mind and realize this was not the right thing to do or if you're 
thinking about what you said before the break, that he was trying to force Jesus' hand a little bit mm-hmm. and get him to confront the authorities of the day and bring on the revolution, maybe at this point he's realizing, oh my goodness, did that ever backfire? Jesus is going willingly to his death. Right. I think there there's a strong argument for that. He's, he If he was motivated by those things we talked about, and if he thought Jesus would even save himself, perhaps the full cold reality of what was happening didn't sink in until he actually saw what was about to happen. Well, let, let, let's take this let's take this home a little bit because he um he he doesn't go and ask for forgiveness. And I think right. you know, you can compare in the scripture there's someone else who betrayed Jesus or at least denied Jesus that night. That's mm-hmm. Peter. Mm-hmm. Denies him three times and of course by the time you get to the end of John's gospel, Peter has repented and he's brought back into the fold. Well, and he immediately it Weeps. It says in that account when Peter denies Jesus that he wept you know, after that's, it. That's true, right? He immediately knows and he weeps. And when you look at John chapter 21, it almost looks like Peter is afraid to come home, but he's hoping for a chance because he's out there with the disciples. And I love the story because Jesus repeats the first miracle that he performed when Peter was first called, you know, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And he brings Peter back home and gives him an assignment. And Judas goes the other path. So you'd have to assume that there would have been room for Judas had his heart been attuned to coming home to Christ, that Mm -hmm. the door of mercy might have been open. But I I think I want to take this home for everybody who's listening now. We're in the last segment of our show today, and I read this story, Gene, Mm -hmm. and I, I think about this a lot. Here's a man who walked and talked and dined with Jesus and worshiped with Jesus, heard Jesus pray, heard Jesus read the scriptures. And then I have to wonder, why is this story in the Bible? You know, as we pointed out earlier, all of these stories are there as examples to us. That's what Paul says. Mm -hmm. Would I have responded to Jesus like Judas did? I'd love to say, look, I'm not in that boat. I'm not going to do what Judas did, but I wasn't there. Mm -hmm. And Judas is a human being with choice, and and he's faced with Jesus. And I'm a human being Mm -hmm. faced with a choice about Jesus, and so is everybody listening today. Yeah, and, uh, and I've thought the same thing, and I've wondered the same thing. You know, Sean, Judas allowed his his personal desires to place him in a position where Satan could manipulate him. Right. He, he, he let that greed and that tendency, he let Satan use that to, to manipulate There's him. There's that principle we find in James chapter 1 where mm-hmm. Satan holds out a temptation. In this case, it was probably fame and fortune and power and those things. Mm-hmm. But it's up to us to nurture that, and then it grows into sin that leads to death. Right. And, and you just talked about Peter. He's a great example of sort of being in the same kind of circumstance. You know, we know Peter was headstrong, but he was molded and shaped. Right. He allowed God to and do that Jesus to did him. say, hey, Peter, Satan wants you too, but if your faith is strong enough, it won't happen. There right. is always a choice. Right. You know, and the same is surely true for us. Our decisions have huge consequences, often greater than we can imagine. And fortunately, like Judas, we're not puppets. We do have that free will. Um, something that Judas's story reminds me of is that we shouldn't let worldly considerations taint the choice of men and women for the work of God. So if someone um, looks the part or acts the part, should they be chosen for that role? Well, you know, Judas, he was good with money. He was likely influential. He was probably different from the other men who are mostly humble Galileans. He was probably the only Judean. Did Judas look the part? Well. You know, it's so easy for us to judge, isn't it? You know, Sean, I think back to any recent election cycle. It's difficult, at least in the beginning, to not judge a candidate by how 
presidential. They either look or they sound or they act. You know, it's a human flaw that we have. Yeah. Um, it, it, yeah. Well, it, it sure is. Jesus, uh, I remember this one story in the New Testament where the disciples and Jesus are watching people come into the temple and they're giving gifts and the disciples are blown away. Look how much money these people are putting in. And Jesus right. is essentially kind of ignoring them until this older woman comes in and puts two coins in the box mm. and he says and now jesus is excited did you see that she gave me everything, everything. Yeah. I, I think of choosing david as king right. right don't go and don't go and look at the outward appearance it's in first samuel 16 mm-hmm. uh god says man looks on the outward appearance don't write david off because he's a little guy and and, and he's the young brother it says god looks on the heart, heart. and yeah. so we we need to break through this idea of treating people according to their initial appearance. Judas probably was very impressive, won over the excitement of a lot of the disciples, but in the end, um, it's not how you look on the outside. God looks at the heart. Absolutely. His story is a great reminder that any one of us, in spite of our apparent fitness for a position, you know, we're only fit if we're called by God. That's what makes us fit. And it doesn't matter how spiritual we seem to be, going to church every week, maybe volunteering at a soup kitchen. No one was closer to Jesus than the 12 apostles, among whom was Judas. Right. And all of the disciples were flawed. You know, John the Beloved, we already talked about him. The difference was how these other men responded to Jesus' love. Sean, let's contrast for a minute Judas's choice versus Mary, Lazarus' sister. We saw her story earlier where she's pouring out that oil anointing Jesus for his burial she's in the same room as Judas and her reaction to the circumstances are is vastly different yeah, there's quite a striking contrast there Judas is getting angry and she's pouring the oil on his head and feet yes and and while these men that were with him day after day didn't fully uh, understand at least at this stage what his mission was and that he would be sacrificed and die. She seemed to understand that and she accepted Jesus' coming death. She also took time out of the busyness of her day and she spent time with him. Um, she was not indignant. Uh, she, so she recognized it and I know you've always loved that. The men are in the dark in that story and the woman <laughs> is uh, is doing the right thing and recognizing what Jesus is about to do for her. She's seeing that the Messiah has come to lay down his life and she's anointing him for burial. That's what the Bible says, whereas the disciples are indignant. What are we going to do with this Jesus? He's not living up to our expectations. We're going to have to force him to, to do the right thing. So... Um, the you know, big question for me is, uh, would I do the same as Judas or would I do the same as Mary? I think that's right. the question for everybody. Yeah, I, I think it's something we all need to to consider. It's, I wonder, could I have betrayed Jesus? Well, I pray not, but unfortunately, I know that I have the capacity for that sin in my heart. Um, but I pray that in his presence, surrounded by his love, that I would have grown in response to him, that I would have grown into what he saw as my potential and not fallen back into that rut of sin and sinful tendency. Well, let, let me talk for a moment, if, if you don't mind. Let me talk to everybody who's listening, Gene, for a moment, because um, we've all at some point looked into the mirror, and if it hasn't happened to you yet, it's going to happen, and you, you, you start to recognize the darkness of your own heart. You start to realize the validity of what it says in Jeremiah chapter 17, where the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. There's nothing we can do to change our own hearts, and we recognize our condition, that left to our own devices, 
we're going to turn our backs on on God, and mm-hmm. we see it, and we're, we're tempted to think, well, maybe my case is hopeless. Maybe I've gone too far. Mm-hmm. The Bible's very clear that if we repent and confess our sins, 1 John 1, verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what I love about that passage is that there are no ifs, ands, or buts. There are no exceptions. It doesn't say except for murder. It doesn't say except for adultery. It doesn't say except for embezzlement. It doesn't say any of those things. Even if you have declared hatred for God at some point in your life, it doesn't say any of that. The door is open, and I can assure you if you're listening today, you haven't gone too far. If you're even worried about it, the Bible says in Romans 2 that God gives you the gift of repentance. And if you want to come back to God, that's because God is calling you. Gene, very Amen. quickly, I want to wrap this up, but I know you're a history major. You love character studies. And is this something you might do again here on Disclosure? You gave us Judas. What might you do in the future? <laughs> well, probably not here on Disclosure, but I will be creating a new short program, uh, likely a, a weekly 15-minute program on Bible believers. Well, actually not just Bible believers, but believers for all time. You know, I don't know about you, Sean, but there's absolutely nothing that I find more compelling than people's personal testimonies, their stories of God at work. And I I know he's been very patient with me in my life. And I'd I'd love to do, I'm planning and would love to do a program about believers throughout the ages. Perhaps believers would be a good name. That'd be a great name because that's really the theme of ministry at the Voice of Prophecy. Our overarching theme is believe and compelling reasons to believe. And God says to us, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. And these lives give powerful stories. So believers, I love the title and I'm looking forward to you doing it. 15 minutes a week on people who believe. And I imagine when that starts rolling out, we can find that at voiceofprophecy.com. Yes, that's where it will live. (laughs) Well, we have come to the close of an hour of disclosure. Don't forget, folks, you can get a copy of this program and some of the show notes are available at voiceofprophecy.com. You can also take advantage of our award-winning global long-running Bible school, the Discover Bible School, so you could dig deeper into the Word of God and, and experience what those disciples had personal contact with Jesus Christ. But I am afraid that we are out of time for this week. Thanks for joining me, Gene. And uh, thanks for joining us out there in Radio Land and on the World Wide Web. We will be back soon with another topic. Thanks for listening. My name is Sean Boonstra, and this has been Disclosure.